0: Watchers in
1: the 4th Dimension You really must try and control this violence streak in your nature, Packer.
2: Oh, don't tell me you can read as well.
1: What else do you do? You don't by any chance know where I can find a canoe. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the 4th Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And I don't take orders, Packer. I give them. <laughs> well, this episode we are heading back to Contemporary Earth for the first time since Fury from the Deep as our intrepid heroes are faced with an invasion in uh the invasion. This one does exactly what it says on the tin, I guess. So, as a very quick note before we dive into the episode, we're going to be splitting this story into two episodes of the podcast, much like we previously did for the Daleks' master plan. That means we'll be doing our behind-the-scenes segment in this episode, along with half of the story. Next episode, we'll do the second half of the story and then score it and then we will also have short summaries in both episodes, each for half of the story. Diving straight in on the the behind-the-scenes here, this one has its roots back in the pre-production for The Wheel in Space, when producer Peter Bryant asked Dr. Kip Peddler for another storyline to feature the Cybermen. For those unfamiliar with how this works, Peddler was the show's one-time scientific advisor and had an attitude of, I'm a doctor, damn it, not a scriptwriter. So he provided storylines and someone else wrote the scripts. He duly conceived a six-part storyline, tentatively and originally titled Return of the Cybermen. With neither of his previous collaborators, David Whitaker and Jerry Davis, available, it was agreed that outgoing story editor Derek Sherwin would write the scripts, while his assistant, Terence Dix, would step up and act as script editor for this particular serial. Dix, of course, is an absolute legend in the history of the show. He will go on to be the script editor for the entirety of the third Doctor era, as well as contributing a large amount of prose and audio fiction to the Hooniverse, and was affectionately known in fandom as Uncle Terrence. Initially, Brian asked Sherwin to truncate the story to four episodes. However, problems on other serials resulted in this one's expansion to a whopping eight episodes, making it the longest serial since season three's The Daleks Masterplan. The story was given the new title of The Invasion with the intent of keeping the Cybermen's involvement a surprise. Now, With the success of The Web of Fear in the previous season, both Bryant and Sherwin felt that Doctor Who worked best when set on contemporary Earth or in the very near future. With that in mind, the production team decided to use The Invasion as a pilot for this new vision, and if successful, the show could then be retooled for its seventh season. It was intended that The Invasion would see several returning characters. The one who made it to the screen was Lethbridge Stewart, now promoted to brigadier and appointed as head of an international investigative military organisation, the United Nations Intelligence Task Force, or UNIT. Sherwin also considered bringing back Professor Travers, but it was decided that bringing back Jack Watlin would be too expensive, as well as Driver Evans, but there were concerns about stereotyping the Welsh. (laughs) Too expensive, too Welsh. Very early stages of scripting, Showen also planned for the Cybermats and the Servo Robot for the Wheel in Space to make appearances, with the latter emerging from within the Cyber Director to confront Tobias Vaughn. Also, keeping in mind the Web of Fear's success, they asked Douglas Canfield to return as Director. Joining him behind the scenes, we have the sole contribution to the show by Don Harper, who provided music for this serial. He was actually a jazz violinist and a conductor, and he didn't really have a prolific career as a screen composer. We also have the return of Richard Hunt as designer. He had previously worked on Galaxy 4, Mission to the Unknown, and The Smugglers. And joining in as costumer, we have the first appearance of Bobby Bartlett, who will also design costumes for the following two stories, as well as for Season 8's The Mind of Evil. Now, it was during pre-production for this serial that Fraser Hines decided that he was going to break Julie's heart and that the following story would be his last. (sighs) This was actually announced to the press. However, Patrick Troughton, who was feeling increasingly exhausted by the show's recording schedule, also decided that season six would be his last season on the show. And keeping Julie's feelings in mind, he asked Hines (laughs) to stay on with him until the end of the season so that they could depart together. Against his agent's advice, Fraser Hines actually agreed to this. During filming, our intrepid director, Dougie Canfield, was able to use his military contacts to secure considerable involvement from the British Ministry of Defence, who provided the use of their facilities, vehicles and equipment for the story, as well as some troops to serve as extras, because they were so appreciative of the positive light in which the script portrayed the armed forces. It was also during recording that Bryant approached Nicholas Courtney aka Lethbridge Stewart, about returning to the show on a recurring basis in the following season, to which he agreed, apparently without any hesitation whatsoever. With the story already deemed a success, Bryant and Sherwin were moving ahead with plans for a radically different season 7, one with a new Doctor and heavily featuring UNIT and Lethbridge Stewart. Finally, before we get into talking about the story itself, there was also a few weeks break between the broadcast of the final episode of The Mind Robber and the start of The Invasion, This was a result of the BBC's coverage of the 1968 Olympic Games from Mexico City, which took over the broadcasting schedule. With all of that out of the way, we move on to our short summary, which Riley has the privilege of presenting this episode. Take it away, Riley. The
2: TARDIS gets stuck in neutral, which allows a missile from the moon to almost hit it, but the crew is saved by magically appearing in a cow field. From there, they narrowly escape from an Amazon warehouse and make it to London, where they run into a fashion photographer, and the doctor tries to outwit an automated telephone operator. This leads him and Jamie to meet with the smoothest villain they have come up against yet, Vaughn, a man who acts cool unless it is time to yell at his henchman. Jamie and the Doctor leave, Isabel and Zoe arrive. Jamie and the Doctor arrive at Unit, and the Brigadier, and then head back to rescue Zoe and Isabel. There, they are caught again and are brought to Vaughn's factory office, which in a cunning way to save money by the show's producers is the exact same set piece from Vaughn's office in London. The Doctor finally meets up with the professor he has been looking for to make sense of it all and we have a daring rooftop helicopter escape. Too bad that episode is missing. So after having trespassed twice and just barely escaping, the Doctor heads back to Vaughn's place again and here the mystery force behind Vaughn is revealed to be a (gasps) Cyberman again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just like Wheel in Space.
3: I just want to say my third note based on just the first episode before anything was spoiled. Thanks, Anthony. If this serial isn't about an invasion of evil cows, I'm going to be very
1: disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying not to spoil anything for any of you on this one.
0: So you know what happened to me? I watch these episodes with closed caption. And when the planner is talking, it said it was the planner. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, hey, look, it's episode two. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a Cyberman already.
3: Yeah, uh... it kind of gave it away.
2: <laughs> This says that on the transcript as well. It says Cyberplaner. But when you watched it, like me, it's because in Whelan's space, you couldn't tell what the hell the Cyberplaner looked like anyway. To me, it's like he's just talking to a coat hanger or something. I don't know what he's talking to.
3: I enjoyed this chunk that we watched, but I've noticed a pattern where the Cybermen don't really seem to need to be in the serials that hmm. feature them.
1: I will say the the best. Part and I, I realize I'm jumping way ahead here. The best elements of the Cybermen in this story are yet to come in the second half.
0: Yeah, because like for me, as especially the first episode, I think the first episode did a really good job of setting up this world of you know it's this, a really good mystery setup, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed that. Even though it kind of got spoiled for me, I was like, oh, the Cybermen are coming. It's still at the same time. There's a good mystery behind it and trying to figure out how it all kind of fits together. It still works.
3: I thought that first sequence was amazing. I would love to see, I would love for the episode to be recovered, but you've got tension. You've got some really awesome music playing that I really enjoyed. You've got that fairly (laughs) rude truck driver that was trying (laughs) to help them out, but still was a bit of a jerk to them. And eventually you get what was apparently a cameo from Mr. Camfield as the driver that actually drove them into
1: London. Oh, fantastic. And his wife played the voice of the computer later on. And his <gasps> wife will be back in a later story as an actual character. So we, we see more of Sheila Dunn on screen.
2: I'm glad you brought up the music, Don, because I thought the music in the very first episode really set the stage. It's Maybe it's how the animation was done. Everything seemed very dark, but I, I mean, once it got past the cow, of course, like everything from there you felt like you're in this like dystopian world and only Mm -hmm. until we left that area and then made it into london you're like oh everything's fine on the surface but you didn't feel that because the tension was so good and the music was so good there
1: it's very very bassy it's heavy on percussion there's a small amount of melody but it it, you're right riley it really sets the tone
2: it's disjointed i like to call it disjointed and but also somber as well Mm -hmm. it's very like, good. It's
0: it's not memorable in the sense that you're not going to be sitting there humming it later because there's no <laughs> yeah. true melody, but it's really good for setting that mysterious, like something bad is going on right now. Then I had a comment about the animation. It's 100% better than Fairy from the Deep, but I still think the shading is a little weird on their faces. Kind of so weirds this, me
1: out. This was the very first, or these oh. two were the very first missing episodes to be animated.
0: Oh, Okay.
3: And they're still better than Fury from the team.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: All the way back in 2005. And what happened was the Doctor Who website, before Doctor Who came back, tried to relaunch Doctor Who as a web cartoon with a story called The Scream of the Shalker, which had Richard E. Grant as the Doctor. And then, of course, Russell T. Davies brought the show back. They still had budget for a second story, but that was vetoed by the new production team. So they used the budget to do this
0: oh i like that
1: we didn't get uh further missing episode animations for about six years after this
2: well you know the animators for this one were kind of upset with themselves for picking it because at the very end of this episode the doctor specifically mentions the amount of eye blinking <laughs> <laughs> on and I, could, I had to imagine they're like god oh, damn it we have to go back through this and make sure that everyone but him blinks in a normal amount of time
1: Honestly, the two missing episodes, I'm really familiar with the remaining six, but when this originally came out on VHS, they just had some linking narration. So I haven't seen the two missing episodes as much as I've seen the rest of the story. And I thought this did a brilliant job of Mm -hmm. setting the scene. I know, Riley, you already mentioned that, but just giving you that impression of how pervasive international electromatics has become in society. They're in everything. They're in everyone's homes, everyone's pockets.
0: Oh, so like Alexa? Or Google, or...
1: Siri. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like that. And then there's Vaughn. Reminded me of Mavic Chen for some reason. <laughs> Magic Chen. Magic Mavic Chen. Yes. He's so smooth. He He's really like a villain. He really is.
2: It's because he's got awesome cocktail jazz music playing in his office all the time. <laughs> and it's wonderful. And it's so funny to me. He He's playing that Bond style, cool, calm, and collected all the time. Except he just has those outbursts with Packer and it's hilarious when those happen.
3: But that's the only such a character. Contrast. That's the only character that makes him break his cool because he is so annoyed and you can tell he can't <laughs> stand him. Packer!
1: <laughs> Packer! Fuck, ah. He
3: says it yeah, he says it so well. You're right. It's it's, it's almost a melch it in the way that Black- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just needs that at the end of it to really make
0: it. it's astounding to me. It's like if you have this man who annoys you so much, like why don't you just get rid of him? You're a powerful enough man to get another lackey is not this bothersome
1: yeah no no one else is is quite as nasty as packer you know he's that guy who was like bullied relentlessly as a kid and has now been given a little bit of power and has just turned into a complete sadist it's it's impressive
3: i guess he needs packer to exposition to later
1: on like in
3: episode four where he explains
1: i just really love the setup for this story it doesn't quite feel like bond but it does feel like a spy serial i would probably draw a closer analogy with something like the Ipcris file, which is a bit more low key than a Bond movie. But I just really enjoy that. I think it is done really, really well. You look at Vaughn, his HQ appears to be on the top floor of Millbank in London, which is such an iconic piece of brutalist architecture. It's brilliant.
0: We can talk about the Doctor and crew showing up at the Watkins household. Yes. First off, the Doctor's that obnoxious guy who's just like, ring! (laughs) Ring! And it's like buddy i i get it but and then he just barges in the door so so rude
1: so let's talk about isabel then since we're talking about the watkins household she's too busy taking selfies to open the door
0: (laughs) (laughs) sounds familiar i like her it's one of those things where it's like if i knew her in real life i wouldn't be able to stand her like i would be like you're obnoxious get out of my life but i like her as a character and she ends up Helping a bit more than than not helping, so that's really fun. But her biggest fault is that she did not want to photograph Jamie,
1: <laughs> 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 and she put Zoe in that hideous feather boa. Yes, when she should have put Jamie in that hideous. Feather. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad that Zoe is.
2: I think this is the first time since your introduction has like a another female character to just hang out with and like be friends with. That just hasn't happened yet, so. Just kind of nice
1: to see that. Yeah, I mean, replacement hot blonde in the Dominators was never going to cut it. <laughs> 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 yeah, Isabel's uh, an actual character. Speaking of Jamie, he has a wonderful bit of humor where he's winding Packer up as he's being escorted out. Where he says, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, "Don't oh, tell oh, me you can read as oh. well."
0: <laughs> yes,
1: I wrote that down because it was so awesome. Oh,
0: that part was good, but then even before we get to that when the doctor is dealing with the automated machine and my comment was, the doctor having the same issues calling in, in to help desk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know how it feels for all of us.
1: We head towards the end of the episode with the doctor saying that he's noticed something similar about Vaughn, which has already been mentioned about the blinking. And at the same time, we get a cutaway where Vaughn is opening up his cupboard with this machine that we now know to be the cyber director just making a weird noise.
2: Cyber director? I thought it was I a cyber was a planner. planner. Yeah. I believe the director is a couple of pay grades higher than the planner.
3: And you've got a cyber manager and a cyber supervisor.
0: <laughs> when I was watching it, that's what the closed captions told me.
2: Yeah, and the transcripts I've read say planner. So. Okay. So <laughs> he, needs to, he needs to be brought down a little bit. He's, he's not the director.
1: That's fair. All right. A couple of pay grades lower. Moving <laughs> on.
2: Does anyone else find it very unusual, but very nice to see... On the street, you know, footage, not in the studio with the second doctor running around. I feel like I haven't seen this in a, quite a while.
3: Yes, location shooting. It feels like they're moving from place to place and things are happening.
1: It's almost like the Web of Fear was the inspiration for this story.
0: And, you know, at least they recognize that they're being followed. And they're like, all right, let's keep going.
1: And then the, the unit pickup. I love that little scene where... Oh. Being cornered, the Doctor just sits down and plays cards and and gives a little smile as they're captured. I thought that was delightful.
0: So wonderful. At first I was like, what in the world is he doing? I'm like, oh, he's just playing cards. He's doing what the Doctor does.
1: (laughs) He should have had the recorder. We haven't seen that in quite a while. One, One of the two unit personnel that brings him in is played by John Levine, and that character is, at this point, Corporal Benton, and Benton will go on to be quite the regular in the Third Doctor era. Nice little... Little tidbit there. The scene at Unit has my favorite Jamie
2: line, in which (laughs) the brigadier and Jamie and with the doctor are discussing what exactly is Unit and. The brigadier says that they aren't like the secret police because they don't arrest anyone. And Jamie says, You arrested us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Everyone ignores him. They just keep going. Yeah. Lethbridge Schwartz describes his chaps as being a little melodramatic in their methods.
0: We get that. And then one of the things that I loved is it had the closed caption, it had gentle, ominous music. In quotes.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
3: Also, at one point, the closed captions described, I believe it was the theme as funky space music. Yes. (laughs) I'm like, okay.
1: (laughs) What did it describe the jolly little tune as they were heading into the unit aircraft? I'm curious. I I wasn't watching it it with closed captions. I don't think it
3: did, but I did enjoy that music as well. I'm like, is this the unit theme? I wish it described it as
1: like a jolly little ditty.
2: (laughs) (laughs) While we're on music, did anyone else find it incredibly odd that? Isabel and Zoe back at Isabel's place is playing on a record player, Teddy Bear's Picnic. Yes. Just a strange choice for for the time period to be like, let's sit back and listen to this song.
1: I actually think Isabel's a little strange. She appears to have no (laughs) friends because she's got no one to photograph. She writes on walls and she insists on playing the Teddy Bear's Picnic. She's she's an odd one. Yeah, She's just social distancing. (laughs) (laughs) 52 years too early, love. (laughs) It's never too early.
0: So we hear about all the different planets and that these unknown things, since we, we technically don't know their Cybermen yet, are like, oh, yeah, planet 14. It's like, what is what is going on? How do they know them? Should have known by then,
1: but. This had me thinking, like, knowing it was the Cybermen coming, right? So the Cybermen haven't been on Earth before by this point, but they've met the Doctor on planet 14. Like, this just gives me so much of a headache with Cyberman continuity, and, and maybe I'm overthinking <laughs> it and shouldn't care. Like, when, when did so, all this happen? So, so is that in the Doctor's future? Is it in his past, but, the like, is the 10th yeah. planet in the Cybermen's future? I don't know. Leave me alone. It's, <laughs> it's all very... <laughs> yeah,
0: you're thinking too hard.
1: I do really love that Zoe gets an opportunity to show how clever she is here. They all overload
3: the circuits yeah. with math problem jargon.
1: With
0: Algal computer language.
3: Yes, which is not That's a thing, it but it's funny nonetheless. <laughs> One thing I really liked about that scene is how amusing everyone found it when she blew up this piece of equipment.
1: Even Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. He thought it was hilarious. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they did do the dumb thing of, hey, we destroyed this probably very expensive piece of machinery. And we're just going to sit here and laugh about it and just continue to sit here. Oh, wait a second. Oh, yeah. Someone might come and take a look at this and see what's wrong. Obviously.
3: Oh, can we get a spin-off series where Zoe and Vicky get together and just go around blowing
1: up computers and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Causing that would revolutions? Be, yes. 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 Wonderful. I'm going to utter one of our catchphrases. Big finish. Are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> it turns out that Unit have been looking into Vaughn for a while, including since before he became successful. He's been up to some shady stuff for quite a while, it seems, and he's just been allowed to get away with it. Maybe there's just been no evidence?
2: Unit, they're not proactive. They're wait till the very last moment active, apparently.
0: Mm. Well... They're an intelligence task force. It seems like they're mm-hmm. more about reconnaissance and, yeah. and figuring out things. They're not actually the ones in charge of doing the, the actual arrests. Yeah,
3: they just think he yeah. looks suspicious, but they can't necessarily prove he's broken any laws. True. And
2: also, I'm pretty sure that Vaughn all gave them free memberships to International Electromatics Prime. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they gave him the family plan as well.
3: Plus a free little radio. Like, Jamie got, that's coming back. I'm just saying, I haven't watched anything else, but I'm pretty sure that radio is important.
1: the radio? Yes. Transistor radio? Chekhov's radio. In this episode, we even have the Doctor pulling it apart and realizing there's a completely redundant circuit in the radio. So we know something's going on with it.
3: As we near the end of this episode, where well, basically, Zoe and Isabel get captured and Doctor and Jamie are going towards it. Vaughn says a line that just blew my mind, which was, a sprat to catch our mackerel.
1: Is this yes. a common British phrase? Uh, certainly not by the time I was growing up, but I can't speak to 1968. Can we bring it back? <laughs> we we should start using it, definitely, as a okay. clique.
0: Yeah, you start.
1: Oh, I already you have. You start. <laughs> this, I think, is where Vaughn shows that despite his suaveness, he's utterly ruthless in that he's going to use Isabel to ensure that Professor Watkins is cooperative and hands them over to Packer. What a dick. Packer! Packer! (laughs) Also, the cyber planner, which I'm still going to insist is a director, wants Vaughn to destroy the Doctor. And this is the first time we see Vaughn lose his cool at anyone. It's not at the Doctor. It's not at Zoe. It's not at Gregory. It's not even at Packer. It's at the machine. I kind of love that. He's losing his cool at the emotionless thing.
0: So episode
1: three? Yeah, we have a little bit of a run around in the warehouse, and yeah, that leads us into episode three.
2: It's the classic Jamie attack wildly and then ask <laughs> questions later. Uh, yeah.
1: It'll be absurd.
3: Yes. Jamie doesn't ask questions later.
1: <laughs> so episode three, we get some running up and down corridors. Doctor Who trope, check. Ding,
0: ding.
3: We also get Jamie cheekily getting shotgun oh in my that g- car.
1: I was
0: so funny. That was
1: brilliant.
0: I loved that so much. I was sitting there. At first I was like, oh, is he going to try to escape? And he's like, oh no, he just wants shotgun.
1: Packer (laughs) looked so put out. (laughs) I, I love it so much.
2: And we need to point out here that happened in the second episode. And then it happened again in the third episode. And it really struck me. In the second episode, Packer calls Vaughn and says, the doctor and the boy are inside again. And then later on in this episode, the Brigadier refers to Jamie as a boy as well. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think he can be qualified as a man, not a boy. How old is he meant to be? I've always assumed he was kind of early 20s.
2: I would say that based on the time period where he came from, if you made it over eighteen, you're automatically a man. But
0: <laughs> I don't disagree yeah. with you. It's even before eighteen, honestly. No, he's he's definitely a man. We all know this. So <laughs> 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 people just people in in charge just don't seem to understand this. What I really like though is that the brigadier remains ultra competent. Yes. In this, yes. Yeah. And I really enjoy that.
2: It was mentioned before, but it's starting to seem very clear that maybe the popularity of the Brigadier comes from the fact that in this series, this season of so many poor, horrible bosses, everyone just immediately just likes him because he's competent. He is a good manager of people. He's kind and respectful. He's a breath of fresh air. It makes the threat
3: more credible if you have someone competent in charge. Whereas if yeah. you just have the person that can't lead or refuses to accept the danger, it's like, well, they're gonna die, not because the threat is overwhelming, it's because these people suck. But with the Brigadier, you're like, this guy knows what he's doing. He should be able to handle this.
0: And the fact that he has people who who listen to what what he says and are competent at their jobs, Mm -hmm. and they all are just like, okay, we all know we're competent, we're all good at these different things, and we're just going to let people do that and not micromanage, and it's wonderful.
1: Well, also with the Brigadier, if you think back to the Web of Fear, his popularity also came from that he was very heavily based on a very popular real-life lieutenant colonel, who helped put down an insurrection in in Aden, and he was a huge media personality at the time because of it. A little bit of a, a military celebrity that probably feeds into his popularity. A little bit of history. Thank you for listening to my TED talk. <laughs>
3: I know that Riley brought this up earlier, but I did laugh out loud when they came to Vaughn's second office. (laughs) And it's the exact same set. I think they changed their backdrop for what it's quote unquote overlooking. But I laughed so hard because not only did they do that, but they called out why they did it. I'm like, oh, oh, that's brilliant.
2: That's just so smart. Do you think Vaughn gets confused as to which office has a cyber
1: planner behind <laughs> the wall? I think they both do. So they maybe might. They do. Yeah. yeah before we even get there, Vaughn puts the coffin type things with Isabel and Zoe on a train, deliberately makes them miss uh, the doctor and, and Jamie miss the train, drives them to his countryside HQ with the promise of we'll meet the train when it gets there. And then pulls a bait and switch on them. Rather than getting to see the caskets quickly, he he wants to talk about the TARDIS circuits. What a dick. He wants the TARDIS as his plan B. Yeah. That's important.
0: At least he's competent enough to have a plan B.
3: He's a really good adversary. I like the fact that while there is a kind of a trope with the second doctor where he plays dumb to make the bad guy underestimate him, he can't do that with Vaughn. Because Vaughn knows mm-hmm. exactly how smart he is
1: and is planning for it. Let's be honest, when was the last time we had a really, really good, not just in terms of their plan, but in terms of the charisma of the actor who played them, a really good villain? Enemy the of world? the world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ooh. That doesn't count because that's, that's Troughton against Troughton. That <laughs> counts. <laughs> counts. When did we last have a really good villain who wasn't also played by Patrick Troughton? <laughs>
0: uh, don't make me think. Ro- All right. Robot
1: Yeti? <laughs> <laughs> Professor Zaroff, nothing in the world can stop me now. <laughs> yeah, he's Ugh. just, he's brilliant.
0: And then we get finally introduced to Watkins.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. I just feel sorry for him. Like, he was probably, honestly, at the wrong place at the wrong time, and then he's been blackmailed. Yeah. Poor, poor guy.
1: No bueno. But he is allowed to talk to the doctor, but they are spying on it.
2: Right. And then the old, the little magnet trick, which is a clever little thing.
1: But that's where Vaughn lets the Sheen slip he he stops playing mm. the nice guy and admits that he has Zoe and, and says you know I'll give you back Zoe if you give me the TARDIS or I'll give her to Packer who oh. you know yeah.
3: but you also get that brilliant scene where the doctor does put the magnet on there and it blocks and he just goes in there walks right past him pulls the magnet mm-hmm. off and just the way he hands it to the doctor yeah. doesn't yell at him doesn't scream mm-hmm. just well now yep. hold me out here's what's gonna happen
2: Or how about this? He doesn't have a complete fit trying to figure out how the doctor was able to destroy the video feed. Nope. He reminds me, even though he doesn't have that awesome, awesome voice, he reminds me of James Mason's villain character in North by Northwest. (laughs) Because... They both, I mean, outside of, of course, you know, yelling at Packer, I think their pulse does not get over 40.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: I don't remember, it was around this time, they're having some sort of conversation, and Jamie had the wonderful line of, don't ask me, you're the brains.
1: Yes, (laughs) I've got that in my notes.
0: I was like, yep, absolutely right.
1: My only line from Jamie I have in my notes is, you're a clever wee chappy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, also in my notes.
1: (laughs) After all of this, we end up with some faffing around in the lifts, or the elevators, as we would say over here. Despite the threats to Zoe, the Doctor still is just like, whatever. And I think he knows that Zoe's the only leverage Vaughn has over him. So Vaughn, despite all of his threats, isn't going to hurt Zoe, because otherwise, why would the Doctor give him the TARDIS. they had some brilliant games of strategy being played
0: there's that but then really the immediate piece is not against Vaughn, it's it's against packer and it's wonderful to see him oh. his voice starts breaking and he yes. starts getting like so upset and he's yelling and he's like this is so unfair
3: you almost feel so bad, bad for the guy almost <laughs> not quite but, you know, he completely fails.
1: And then Vaughn goes and yells at him again and tells him <laughs> how incompetent he is. It's just Packer starts freaking out, but then he calms down and he has that sadistic little smile when he decides he's going to take the lift and try and squash the doctor and Jamie.
3: Completely at odds with his orders, but yes.
1: Yeah.
0: And is like completely and utterly fails at that. And I thought he had said, hey, we need people on the roof. There was no one on the roof. So terrible! Like, who is doing anything there except for Packer?
3: I get the feeling that Packer forgot
1: to tell them to go to the roof. No, I thought he said
0: it in his little
1: watch communication device.
0: I thought it. I thought so.
1: I thought he did, but I'm making the assumption that everyone hates him, so no one does what he says. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. In the lift shaft, did anyone notice? And I, I certainly never saw it, and, or if I did, I never got the reference as a kid. There's graffiti on the wall that says yep. Kilroy was here. Kilroy was here. Nice little Berlin Wall reference there.
3: Oh, that was, that was there way before the Berlin Wall. It was? Yeah, that's been a
1: thing for mm. a long time. Oh, okay. Well, you've taught me some history. I will have to look into that, and we'll provide some links in the episode description. Cool.
0: So I have a question. So I noticed that Zoe was not in this episode, really. So was she on vacation?
3: Yeah.
1: Probably. Okay. Yeah. I don't know for sure. I didn't see anything in my reading, but... I'm
3: almost certain that she gets a vacation day, and Fraser got a vacation day.
1: Yeah, Jamie spends a lot of time sleeping in one episode (laughs) of this, in the second half. So Vaughn only starts losing his shit when things start moving out of his control. If he's in control, he's very calm and collected, but he freaks as soon as the situation starts getting away from him, is my observation. Or whenever Packer talks. He just gets so mad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we get towards the end, and they're in a freight car, and then they're needing to hide. And that closing shot with Jamie and the crate with the thing that's moving is so good. Yes, I love it.
3: Once again, wouldn't it be so much creepier if it wasn't Cybermen? If it was Uh. something new,
0: but still, I like the fact that they held their cards. Still, yes, we still don't even find out until the end of the next episode. That's so. true.
1: Because the planner could have been something else. And I'm so mad that you all got spoiled on that. I was really hoping that you would make it through without finding that out.
2: I wasn't spoiled. I was not spoiled.
1: <laughs> Yay! Like I said, when I saw the
2: cyber planner, that I still didn't know. I, I Like I said, I looked at it, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, this could be anything. This is like a plastic wind vane that that's light up that's talking to him. I don't know what this is. It just did not match with the cyber planner that I had seen before.
3: See, to me, I got it mainly from the weird look of the thing and from the voice. It was just enough, like, a slap. I'm like, oh, oh, come on. Let it be the evil cows. No. But it wasn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, that was a brilliant cliffhanger with something in that casket with Jamie moving. When I was a kid and had this on VHS, the next episode was just done by, like, 30 seconds of linking narration and even having this animated so we can see how that is resolved and where this story goes next is such an improvement. Mhm. Anyway, we're back to animation for episode 4, where of course the doctor doesn't believe Jamie that something moved.
0: Yes. Again, I, my unofficial should have listened to Jamie count.
3: It's up by 1. Oh, man, I forgot to be paying attention to the number of times people told Jamie to shut up. I know it was at least <laughs> twice.
0: It's so astounding because time and time again Like, yes, he's not the most, like, scientifically smart, like some of the others and things like that, but he generally has a good idea of when things are dangerous or when something's wrong. So I never understand why they keep on, like, choose to ignore him when it's like, you know, how many times have you chosen to ignore him and you should have listened?
1: We also start getting some hints here. Even if you hadn't figured it out, I think this is where you would figure it out. You know, Vaughn is planning on eventually betraying his allies using emotion. Against them. He asks Packer if he wants to be converted. I mean, the hints are Mm -hmm. piling up. Oh, yeah.
0: It was pretty heavy handed in this episode.
1: And then we we get that wonderful wonderful action scene as the Doctor and Jamie rescue Zoe and and Isabel, and we have basically an all action rescue with helicopters and firefights between IE's guards and units. It's it's really the type of thing that Dougie Canfield was so good at, and it's such a shame we we don't get to see it.
3: Those IE troops have a very strong futurist stormtroopers.
1: Yes. <laughs> Yes. And Julie, I feel like you might have something to say about Jamie's oh. hero moment.
0: There's a bunch of things to say about hero moments, but there's also a bunch of things to talk about. Hey, let's climb on ladders when someone's wearing a kilt. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, this was the story where the cameraman kept trying to uh, film up Jamie's kilt. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, as we said last time, Fraser Hines was wearing football shorts underneath, so they they wouldn't have got anything. But no. they were doing it just to annoy him more than anything.
3: They also started <laughs> adding weights to his and I think Isabel's costume, like fishing weights, mm. to mm. Uh, yep. to keep it the skirt from being blown around. <laughs> uh, climbing, yeah,
0: things. yeah, for climbing that. If they're probably trying to create the atmosphere of the helicopter while they're. Because they're not going to film with a helicopter down, you know, when they're trying to do the the climb. Yeah, it was just like, Jamie, to the rescue. Please don't fall. Okay, we're looking up kilts. We're looking up dresses and skirts. And okay, this is all fine.
1: This was probably the story where they blew the entire budget for the season. We've got helicopter sequences and some big action scenes throughout. I I feel like this must have been pretty expensive.
2: And it's, of course, the one we don't have.
1: I mean, even with the Ministry of Defense lending them stuff, I, I doubt they lent them a helicopter. But it was cool.
2: At least from the first four episodes, it's clearly the most action-heavy one. So it's the one really that you needed the actual episode to be able to appreciate it. It's kind of tough when you just hear a lot of machine gun fire. You can't really get suspense without jumping and climbing and this and this and this. Instead, you just have the animation. And and they do an admirable job with it, but it just cannot match what we could have gotten.
3: Yeah. Wasn't this story supposed to show how they could do effective and cheap Earth-based stories, and then it wound up being the most expensive episode ever for the longest time.
1: Something like that, yeah.
3: Whoopsie.
0: <laughs> one thing that I had been worried about up to this point was actually wondering if Unit was truly going to be competent and effective, because I understand that Lethbridge-Stewart is, but it was just one of those things it's like, all right, I don't want it to become this thing where it's like Unit tried to save them and then it just didn't happen. Um, so I was really excited to see that they were actually competent and got them out of there
3: you were afraid the yeah. unit was going to be staffed exclusively by welsh drivers
0: <laughs> which they wanted to bring him back so yeah i'm saying nothing <laughs> <laughs> so they escape and we get vaughn yelling some more because it's out of his control he is now yelling all the time and so, he gets in contact with the minister and yeah. his first question is is the caller male or female?
3: Yeah, there was a bit of a perving action going on there, wasn't yeah. there? What? Yeah, I
1: thought that was a bit odd. But then odd. again, did
3: you see how Vaughn looked at the lady that actually answered the phone?
1: Well, I took that as, you know, Vaughn is very, very suave and smooth. And as soon as he saw that it was a woman answering, he knew that he could charm her it very was just, easily. It was just a very, oh, hello. <laughs> it was like, okay <laughs> I took it as oh, I can charm you. Okay, this is going to be easy to get put through uh, to Rutledge. I-, I think he had the power to get put through
3: to Rutledge anyway. He was Pervin.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think it's somewhere in the middle. It almost took me out that question of who responds with, is it male or female? Like, that's just, that's just bizarre.
1: Maybe he's trying to avoid talking to his wife. <laughs> <laughs> <Head> cannon accepted. it. <laughs>
0: Well, if that was his secretary, he probably could have asked, is it my wife?
3: He may have also been trying to avoid his mistress, so he's just asking.
0: Okay. (laughs) Also fair. All right.
1: He's got himself into some bizarre love triangle.
0: (laughs) Big finish, if you're listening.
1: (laughs) The love life of Major General Rutledge.
0: (laughs) So... He gets connected with the minister and then we, we circle back to the doctor in the street, and the doctor's like, do you have a canoe? Oh,
1: Jesus. <laughs> I love that we get the doctor and Jamie in a canoe and approaching <laughs> the International Electromatics premises from another direction. They're sneaking in again
3: because <laughs> their security is ruthless but terrible. <laughs>
1: yeah so just going back to that in the rescue scene captain jimmy even laughs at how terrible the ie folks are at shooting <laughs> he's like they're terrible I mean, shots
3: let's face it, there is okay considering the number of shots even at random they had to have killed somebody yeah. it's just it's it's beyond belief that yeah. all. that
0: before we get to the very very end i do have another music thing and it says spacey time music
3: spacey time music <laughs> Spacey time. Spacey
0: time. So yes, we can all agree that the music is wonderful. And then the titling of the music on closed caption is the best. Yes.
2: Do you know how wonderful if they produced a soundtrack (laughs) and just the track listing with those titles one after another would be?
1: So I was going to say, this is one where they have actually released the score. Oh, That
2: is so good. It's out Are there. Are the titles like we hope? Probably not. I don't know. <laughs> I, w-
1: I would have to look. But I'll, I'll, maybe if you remind me, I'll get back to that next episode and let you know. Okay. So we finally done. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Think you All right, yeah. The Cyberman comes out. Oh, my God, do I hate the design. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. I love the design I, of these ones. I but
3: go I hate that helmet, the giant <laughs> headphone looks. It is the dumbest looking thing I have ever seen. And that's the one they keep the one that looks more like a cheap costume than anything else, this becomes their iconic look until the 80s. What the hell, BBC? When you say until the 80s, it's this
1: and one other story. <laughs> Still, they, they show up in like Earthshock and something else, don't they? Earthshock, they get a really radical redesign. Oh. So it's, it's this and Revenge of the Cybermen in Tom Baker's time. I just, I hate that helmet look. I really, really like it. I think it's iconic. Pistols at dawn. (laughs) I was (laughs) going to say agree to disagree, but um, (laughs) sure, pistols at dawn.
0: To be fair, I need to see, I think, the next episode or so before I really judge because this is an animated shot, so I can't really judge yet.
1: Fair. Well, we'll be back next time when we judge them properly. (laughs)
3: Can Riley convince Big Finish to make a story about Dr. Jamie's further canoeing adventures? Will Don remember that Algol is actually a real thing? Will Julie finally see what's up Jamie's kilt? And can Anthony ever talk about Douglas Camfield without calling him Dougie? All these questions answered and more on the next episode of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension.
1: You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension, with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Filipek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Too Expensive, Too Welsh, was recorded on Wednesday the 10th of February 2021. In the meantime, all of our previous episodes are available on your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D. And you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favourite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, write your memos on a wall. It's much harder to lose than a piece of paper.